Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Thank you for joining me today. It's uh, February 3rd, 2021, and uh, from out my window, sun's shining, birds are singing. I hope that you're you're healthy, that you're breathing on your own accord, um, that you're taking note of the accomplishments that you've made today and the things that you are proud of yourself for. And also remembering all the numerous ways of which you've helped other people who sometimes didn't deserve your help. Let's be honest. <laughs> There's some people who did not deserve the hand that you lent them, but you lent it anyway because it was in your heart. So go ahead, take some time, pat yourself on the back for that. Uh, Today's guest is Tracy McCubbin, who is a decluttering extraordinaire. Uh, She's written a book called Making Space Clutter-Free, The Last Book You'll Ever Need. This is a great episode. We had a great time. Uh, she's up. She's out here in Los Angeles right now, and I'm in San Diego, so we're, we're very close. Almost did this in person. Uh, we talk about how to let go. We talk about the scale, the scales of hoarding. I didn't know that there were different levels to hoarding. I thought you were just a hoarder or not a hoarder, but apparently there are different scales. We talk about you know what brings you joy, and is that the best way to figure out if you should get rid of a thing? Um, and you know, some of us, when we talk about clutter, and we're not just talking about physical stuff, a lot of us have a lot of online clutter that we need to get rid of. And so we're going to talk about all those different ways that we clutter up our lives and how that impacts our mental health. And then we're going to teach you and talk to you about how to let go, how to just open your hands and let it go. I'm going to definitely let go of some things after this episode. Uh, remember, if you're in a crisis situation at this moment, please call 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK. If you're looking for one-on-one coaching, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. And with that said, let's jump into the episode. So I'm so excited to do this. I listened to a couple. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Well, I'm excited to have you on, Tracy McCubbin, right? Is it McCubbin? Is that Irish? I just found out talking about genetics that I am part um, Irish. I'm like 9% Irish or something. Oh, wow. Uh, Yes, I'm a smush up between Irish and Scottish. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I, they they haven't been able to clearly discern, you know, Irish Scottish. But I, I was like, oh, that's why I'm so hairy. I, I understand <laughs> now. I'm from the north. <laughs> um, and so, what part of the world are you in? I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sweaty. So it's it's sunny. Eh, I'm in the I'm in the flats of the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> let's say that. <laughs> so so you, so you got your views obstructed. Is that what's happening? Yeah, basically, basically. <laughs> so yeah, we. Uh, I was living downtown, and my boyfriend was living out in Santa Monica, and the pandemic hit, and I had a house in Hollywood that I had been renting out. 
and my tenants moved out and we were like, let's go hunker down. We've got a big yard and let's just ride this thing out. So this is where we've been. It's definitely changed how people are looking at homes where it's like, it doesn't have a backyard, a place to barbecue, uh, a sauna, like, (laughs) like home. Like I watch like, uh, what's that show? Home, not, uh, what's the travel home place where people looking at like they pick between three different homes oh not uh yeah not not love it or leave it or one one of those oh it's killing me uh but anyway but but i watch those shows differently now when people are picking houses i'm like you can't quarantine in that house there's no (laughs) there's no light what are you gonna what are you doing Uh, well we spent the first six weeks of lockdown in my 800 square foot loft in downtown la so the minute this house became available we were like Okay, let pack your bags. Let's go. Oh my god! And you guys are still together. Tell I know. Me, right, first, Happier. Right, I know. Tell, tell me how you did. I, mean, I know we got to talk about decluttering, but how did you manage? Like, was there a conversation that you two had, or did it just flow? Um, you know, it was so. I think we were so freaked out. Like, I think in the beginning it was so apocalyptic and like, is this, is this going to all go down and is this going to be the end? And all right, let's just do this. And we were super hunkered down. And then as, as it became, then, then when I think we didn't realize how on top of each other and how crazy we were until the possibility to more space opened up. And then when more space opened up, we're like, yeah, let's go, let's go. So I think, uh, we came here and it was a lot, it was a lot better. Uh, I love that. Well, I'm excited to talk about your book, uh, making space clutter free. The last book you'll ever need. Uh, I love that because if speaking of, you know, decluttering and books, I have, I just moved in with my girlfriend in San Diego and I have a million books and (laughs) there's a part of me that's like, should I give them away or should I just collect them all? And then when I die, they can, you know, just donate it to a bookstore. But I love my books. They're like my best friends. So I have a criteria for things, you know, um, I don't think that there's a prescribed amount. Like, I don't think, oh, you should only have X amount of books. But I think there are some questions you can ask yourself about how many of one thing you have. And one of the things is, do you love, 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 love it? Like, if you love your books and you refer to them and you go back to them and you look at them and they inspire you to read more and you have a place to store them, you know, they're not in boxes in the attic, then of course keep them. But if you're, let's say paying for a storage unit to store your books that you never go to, you know, at $400 a month, then we're going to have a different conversation. So I definitely, I I don't, I don't, I'm not, here's the funny thing. I'm not a minimalist. I'm actually not. And I don't, I think it's a very hard way to live. And if you want to do that, fantastic. But I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's about really our relationship to our stuff and do we own our stuff or does our stuff own us? You know, that's a great criteria to have because the, I almost want to invest in storage spaces because I feel like everybody I know is snatching them up because they have such a hard time letting things go. And it just seems to be, they're playing the what if game. What if I need it? What if it, 
what if one day I need that, you know, it's this instead of um, just kind of looking at where their life is now, I guess, because I've moved around a lot. It's it's easier for me to kind of let some things go, except my books. Um, (laughs) Right. Except my books. Don't touch my books. (laughs) You know, in your book, you talk about like there are, you know, emotional reasons why we're holding on to stuff. Can you can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah. So um, I've been a professional declutterer for 14 years now, and I have thousands of clients under my belt. And one of the things that I kept seeing come up over and over again were these, um, these stories that we write about why we can't let go of our stuff. And I started to see a really familiar pattern between everybody. And then I realized that more than stories, that they're actual blocks, that they're these, you know, narratives we've written and it, makes us hold on to our stuff, even if we don't need, use, or want it. And they're, I started to call them clutter blocks because they keep us blocked with our clutter. And there's seven of them. And the one that you talked about is, you know, one day I might need it. Well, that's clutter block number seven, the stuff I keep paying for, right? That's something that you bought thinking you're going to use it. You never use it but you think someday you might. So now you're paying for a storage unit to finance that someday. And guess what? I can guarantee you, you've probably, you probably could have bought that thing 10 times over with what you've paid in storage fees because someday I might need this. So people don't understand that you, what, when you buy something, you're not done paying for it, right? You've got to pay to store it. You've got to pay to maintain it. You've got to pay to take it away. But yet we're so emotionally attached that we just keep paying and paying and paying. Yeah. Because, uh, and, and I think it, part of it is there is an emotional attachment, like you said, because I was watching a show about hoarders. And it had actually gave me compassion for hoarders because it, it was saying how, like, to us, it's all junk. But when they pick up anything in their house, they have a visceral memory of what that was linked to. Like, I'm like, like, if, like if you showed me a receipt from, in my pocket from a week ago, I would have no idea, what, like, what the circumstances were around that. But for someone who's a hoarder, they pick up a thing and, and they're like, oh yeah, that's the day when I ordered this and you ordered that and we got stuck in traffic. And and remember that kid ran across the street, you almost hit the kid. And then I was uh, running late. And then that night you made, and blah, blah, blah. Like they have a whole story around almost every single thing that that they touch, even though it looks like a a pile of junk to the the average person. Yeah, it's so, um, fun fact, I'm the child of a hoarder. My dad is a uh, what would be labeled an extreme hoarder. Um, he they do hoarding on a scale of one to ten, and he's probably about a nine. Um, so I've watched my I've spent my whole life watching my father struggle with his relationship with his stuff. And to me, what felt like seemingly choosing trash over us. And it wasn't until I really started to do this work that I realized, oh, this isn't this isn't a choice. He's there, you know, there's something inside of him. It's a hardwire or, you know, trauma that he suffered and his attachment to his stuff is beyond anything that I can understand. So it's, it's funny because now people have sort of, they kind of throw that word around like, oh, I'm such a hoarder. I need to clean my room. It's like, well, 
you know, it's a very serious mental disorder and there is help out there. So I definitely want people who are listening to understand that if they think that they or someone they love is dealing with hoarding, there's a lot of resources. There's a quiz you can take online to find if it's something. So there's sort of a thin line between when does it cross from lots of clutter into hoarding. And even for people who don't necessarily have hoarding disorder, it's emotional. You know, if you have a really autobiographical memory, and like you said, you can remember, um, you know, the day that thing happened, you attach it to that stuff, right? The stuff comes to us with no meaning. The baseball cap is just a baseball cap. But if it's the cap that you wore to watch the game in the World Series of your favorite team and you caught the fly ball, that that cap is going to mean everything to you. But it's not really the cap. It's the memory. We want the stuff to spur our memory. We want to hold on to the feelings. The stuff is irrelevant. It's the feelings that we want. And so I want people to make that that jump to understand that the stuff sparks the feelings or sparks the connection, right? Because that's all we really want at the end of the day is connection with other humans. So it's we're using the stuff thinking it's about the stuff, but what we're really looking for is purpose or connection or love. And we've made it be all about the, you know, Hot Wheel con- collection. You know what that brings to mind, Tracy, is people in their 40s who end up dating their like high school sweethearts again uh-huh <laughs> because they they remember like you're young and and you felt alive and and fun and free and vibrant and and that person represents all those feelings and those memories for you uh even though in your heart you know you, you shouldn't go back or like my mom is she's going to be 80 and some some dude tried to call her from uh from like her twenties. He, like, fa- yeah, he, he, exactly. <laughs> he found her on Facebook. Exactly, found her on Facebook, and I was like, my mom's getting booty calls in her eight. And she and, and I called her out. And I was like, was it a booty call? She was like, don't worry about my booty calls. Just you take care of you, and I take care of me. So, but but it's but you know she re, you know those memories of like you said we're we're, we're reaching for a feeling and and not the actual thing. And I'm glad you brought that. That's going to really help me. uh, Well, and also think about it, Leo, too. Like, you know, those people um, who dress as if they're sort of stuck in time, right? Like they don't, you know, it's not that they're, that they really dress like it's 1965 or 1972. You're like, oh, wow. And for so many of, or people who haven't updated their houses, so much of that is they're staying stuck in the time that they were the happiest, right? Like my dad kind of dresses like when he was in college, he wears a backpack every day and a North face parka. And, and I was like, Oh, that's when my dad was the happiest in his life when he was in college. So he's trying to hold on to that. And I think that we, you know, it's when we hang on to so many reminders of the past, I, I just think it keeps it just keeps reinforcing this idea that our best days are behind us. Like, look, if your mom was thrilled that Mike called her up and she wants to like, you know, spend the last 10 years of her life, like great. That's awesome. But if they're doing it to like try and be someplace that they're not, then you go, Hmm, I don't, I don't know about that. 
Um, and I just think it's about being here now. And yes, of course we want mementos and of course we want reminders and of course we want memories, but I just don't want your house to be a place that tells you your best days are behind you. Wow. That's, that's a very powerful statement right there. Um, I, I was like, whoa, I had to write it down for a second because <laughs> I, I never really thought about it like that, of, you know, especially like dating, like I'm 44 and, 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 you know, you hit that midlife crisis. And I think for a lot of people in their forties, they, they reaching back because they feel like, like life's not going to get better. So uh, there is a sense of hopelessness uh, that, that is uh, underlying some of the decisions that, that we make when we try to reach back. So I, yeah, it, I'll, go ahead. And think about it also. It's like, you know, life's not going to get better. It's like, well, maybe life's going to be different, right? Like, and, and, you know, we have this expectation and I think especially, especially in the United States, this idea that, you know, every day has to be better than the next and, you know, YOLO and all those expressions. And it's like, well, you know, we're humans. And so some days we're going to have amazing days and some days we're going to have bad days and you, it, it can't just all be the same. You've got to go up and down. And so I think if you're chasing after this idea that I'm going to make it better and I'm going to make it better instead of some days or just some days, that's why I think we overshop, right? I got to get the newest thing and I got to get the new iPhone and I got to get the new this and I got to get the new that because that's going to make me feel better and that's going to make me feel better. And it's like, well, if you're not happy inside yourself, a new iPhone's not going to make you feel better. I, I want to take a few steps back, Tracy, because you said something else that was uh, that resonated with me on some level when you mentioned that your father chose the trash over us. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people out there whose parents or significant other are maybe not choosing trash. Maybe they're choosing a drink or they're choosing a cigarette or they're choosing something else over them or at least that's work. What it, the work, work absolute mm-hmm. work for so many, especially now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how, what do you think that your dad was really, what was the feeling or the thing that he was really reaching for? And how did you process that? How did you forgive him for that? Because that's, that to be a painful thing for a child to think my dad is choosing trash over me. And then what does that say about me? How did you process through that? You know, I think it was a combination. I want to look up. I just, um, I just read this quote to somebody. I want to see if I can pull it up again because it was really, it really helped with this. Um, you know, I think it was twofold. I think it was when I started to do this work. I mean, hilarious, right? It took me years when I until I started my business. I'd been doing my business for years before I was like, oh, I'm doing this to heal a part of myself. Oh, so I didn't see that, right? Like I'm spending all my time helping people deal with their relationship with their stuff and not realizing it was really me I was trying to heal. So I think it was realizing that he um, he wasn't doing it on purpose. You know, he wasn't, it wasn't something he had control over. And then having real empathy to see how much pain he was in. Like that was, you know, that this was really affecting his life and the things that he had lost because of it. And it really was a big switch. Um, I read this, uh, Questlove posted this the other day and I never heard this, but it said, forgiveness means letting go of the hope for a better past. What? Come on. 
I know, what? right? What? Can, I you know. Say, can you read that one more time, please? Forgiveness means letting go of the hope for a better past. Wow. Right? Right? And so you, for me, it was, okay, my childhood wasn't, you know, the TV childhood or what I wanted it to be, you know, and it was full of trauma and hard things, but I... I, I like who I am and all those events, all those crazy things that we did with my dad gave me this sense of adventure. And, you know, I, I had you, I, I chose to look at how all that stuff, having a crazy hoarder dad who drove half broken down cars and, you know, how it made me passionate and how it made me a zest for life. And it had made me, you know, open to new experiences. I chose to take all the things that I did with him and see how they added up to who I am today and how it gives me so much empathy and compassion to people that I work with. I love that because, you know, there are, no matter what the situation is, there are always things that we can take from it and alchemize to find our purpose, to find our, our, our North star as you have. Uh, Right. Find our North star. I love that. And so did, did you actually, um, actually, I don't know why I said actually, was there any point that you went to therapy to kind of help you? <laughs> Is I there any point to- <laughs> I haven't been to therapy? <laughs> I, I got to be honest. I do not understand people who don't go to therapy. I'm like, you get 50 minutes to talk about yourself. Like, why would you not go? I don't understand. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've done a bunch of therapy. We've done family therapy. You know, I'm really close to my brother. He's very evolved. It's, I, um, it's funny before I talked to you, I had an hour phone conversation with my best friend. We've known each other since we were four years old and we still talk all the time. And, you know, I was calling her for some business advice and it, you know, it was like the issues in my business had nothing to do with me needing a bookkeeper. It had to do with, I won't let go of control because I've always had to be in control because everything else was so out of control. And so I have to peel apart holding on to control now, you know, what, what's that costing me? And so it was like, Oh, I thought you were just going to tell me to get a bookkeeper. Meanwhile, we're you know crying and I'm reliving my, <laughs> the lessons I need to learn again. So I think it's always a, a process of, um, finding out, looking at who we are and how we, how we act in our lives. And I think it's exciting because I think that it means every day you get to make new and different choices. That's so, that's an amazing opportunity. Right. You know, that's the beauty of sleep, right? It's kind of a reminder that we can kind of wash away the day and start anew, you know, the cells regenerate and you could feel like a new person if you, if you get a great night's sleep and, uh, it, you know, maybe not start completely new. It, it depends how many drinks you had. The day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, <laughs> that one more tequila, not so new this morning. <laughs> you know, but I think that also um, you realize, and especially there's so many, there are very, very few decisions we make in our life that aren't undoable, right? People, we take decision-making so seriously, but there's very, very few things that aren't undoable. So I think that people have to kind of remember that, you know, we're like, oh my God, it it all rests on this. And it's like, okay, well, but also these other opportunities are going to open up and we're also hard on ourselves. 
I'm raising my hand, pointing at myself, you know, <laughs> we're just so hard on ourselves, especially at the end of this, like, or the middle of it. I don't know where we are in the pandemic. This has just been the, this has been the hardest thing ever, ever for me. Absolutely. Cause it was so sudden and there, I, I think what really made it hard was, you know, for, from the, the leadership on down, there wasn't a clear, like, what, what are we doing? Are we sure? Are we all on the same page? Like, when we go to war with a country, mm-hmm. like, everybody is on the same page. I, I mean, whether you agree with it or disagree, we all know what's happening, where it was like, what is, ha- it was it was too many uncertainties at once. Uh, and, uh, and, and yeah. They- you know, I'm, I, I never assume anybody's politics, and I, this isn't about politics, but no one can argue the fact that the administration at the time, there was no leadership around this. There was none. And it was like, states, you figure it out. And so we were all, everyone was just left, literally everyone was left to their own devices. And it was terrifying. So in this age of you know, online storage, right? Where Mm -hmm. I have friends who are (laughs) buying multiple terabytes of things to store their photos and their, uh, their, their, all the, all their videos and all the things. Um, Cause you talked about once you start paying for storage, but we were talking about physical storage. How do you feel about paying for online storage and the terabytes and all that? Yeah, I I have very strong opinions about this. And they were proven by the New York Times recently. About a year, I think the January before the pandemic, the New York Times did this great article about, um, you know, how to kind of best organize your photos, but also in terms of like how to keep them safe and do you put them on the cloud and what do you do? And basically at the end of it, it was like the photos that you look the most at are the ones that you printed out into one of those Apple books. Like if you offload your stuff into a cloud of terabytes of things, you don't go back. Like you just, it's just the same, that big box of photos at your grandma's house that no one ever looks through. That's the same thing on a terabyte. So, you know, if you really want to save your photos and access them, then you got to put a little time in and you got to organize them, tag them, get rid of the bad ones. I'm sorry. You can declutter bad photos, digital or not digital. If everybody's eyes are shut, if people are looking off camera, if there's no people in it, get rid of it. Like just because we have digital photos now and you're like, oh, space is cheap. You, everyone keeps them. And then there's 10,000 and you don't look at any of them. Like what good is it? What's the purpose? Yeah, because we, we don't realize that it, it does carry an emotional weight because there's an anxiety of, wait, what do I have in there? And can I access it? And there's just n- nothing funnier than when a friend's trying to show me a photo and they're scrolling for hours on their phone. <laughs> yeah. And I will say this, and people will at me or come at me or whatever the kids say. If you have 10,000 unread emails in your email when you open it up in the morning, that is giving you stress. I don't care if you have, you know, people open up their computers in front of me and I'm like, you have 20,000 unread emails. And they're like, oh, I can find anything that I want. And then again, there's, I'm like, but that's a weight of like undone things. Like, you know, it, it, it adds up. It absolutely adds up to the weight and pressure on us. Leo starts deleting his emails. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my girlfriend actually does that. She's very good at getting in there and 
and decluttering all the, the <laughs> emails. That come I nuke every, I try and keep it in a certain number. And then every January I nuke my e- inbox, just nuke it. Really? Get rid of everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. that and I haven't missed any, I, I have not missed anything. There's never been <laughs> anything that I'm like, Oh, I can't believe it. You know? So I, I think, you know, here's what people, um, clutter is stress right? Clutter is a constant to-do list. Clutter is things that you have to manage. That's the way I describe it. And that's why I don't have a prescribed, like you should only have this many things. Like if you've got to move stuff off the kitchen table and the kitchen counters to cook dinner, that's more work for you. That's more stress. I want your home to support you. I want your home. I want you to feel good in your home. I want you to feel beautiful in your home. You know, I want your home to be a place now more than ever where you fill your well. But if you're moving your, you know, crap back and forth, you're making more work for yourself. That's what this is all about. It's not about how it looks on Pinterest and, you know, you can you Instagram it and get a bunch of likes? It's like, how do you exist in your space? You're so right because there's nothing I value more than having the space to move around and, and, uh, I was saying to Michelle how there are some hotel rooms that I, you know, spend time in where it encourages me to just move about and stretch and, you know, do yoga or, you know, some type of mobility flow. And then there are other ones that where I'm just, I'm just going to lay in the bed all day, you know, (laughs) just because of the design of the, of the room or the space or the house or, and I think we don't realize how much the design of a place or the, uh, affects how much we uh, want to move or not move. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about it. When you go to, when we used to, and when we hopefully soon, when you'd go to a spa, there's nothing in there, right? There's nothing in there. So the more stuff you have, the more your space is impeded and it affects you. I, I just think sometimes people, re- especially especially people who are dealing with a lot of stress or depression, you know, that kind of ADD, like when you're dealing with that stuff, the more stuff you have, the harder it is on you, right? The more stuff you have to deal with, the more you're adding to your stress level. So, you know, think about that when you, if you're someone who's navigating those issues, you know, Hey, if I get rid of a bunch of this, um, is it going to make me feel better? You know, somebody I know very close to deals with depression and she always says, she always calls when she's in sort of a down spot and her, she stops cleaning her room and doing her laundry. She calls it her depression cave, you know, and she's just in there around piles of laundry and it, you know, of course it doesn't make her feel better. To backtrack a little bit and to the childhood, when you were, um, get. I would assume, were you getting help at that time? Or does that did help not really arrive for you until you got older? And what did that look like for you as a kid? Was it a school counselor? Was it a... Well, my parents split up pretty early over my dad's hoarding. So um, he didn't, I didn't live with him. So it was, I lived with my mom and you know, we, she had a beautiful home and that worked really well. So it was sort of like my eccentric dad, you know, we didn't, nobody really put it together. And 
I'm old Leo. So it was the seventies when I was a kid. (laughs) And, um, you know, it was just like, he was an eccentric, he was a pack rat. Nobody wasn't really until the eighties that nineties that people were like, Oh, this is, this is something. So the relationship, we always had strife, but it was as I evolved. And really when I started this business, um, you know, really it kind of all came together when we needed to move him. And I called a friend of mine in the moving business. I hadn't quite started my business yet. I said, Oh, can you go give my dad a quote to get him moved? Blah, blah, blah. And he called me up the next day and he said, look, I don't know if you know this and I don't know how long it's been since you've been to your dad's house, but he's a hoarder. We were like, what? A what? So I think it was a, it's always been an evolution and learning every step of the way. But it made a lot of stuff make sense looking backwards, right? You're like, oh, that's what that was. And, you know, there's quite a few professionals who align hoarding with very similar to alcoholism. You know, that idea of like, oh, if one drink makes me feel good, two will make me feel better and 10 will make me feel great. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, well, if one magazine makes me feel good, two will make me feel better and a hundred will make me feel great. So there's some similarity to that. Oh, I'm going to get rid of 50 books today. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> my father drank a lot and I'm like, I'm, I don't drink. I'm like, oh, my God, are my books, my alcohol, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, book. I'm going to venture a guess. I would imagine that um, books were probably a place of escape, right? Absolutely. For you, that they were, you know, you could, whatever was going on and chaos and all that kind of stuff, you could go into a story and you would be transported. So that's the magic of books. Also, there's a little something, and I fall into this too. You want to keep a lot of books because you want people to see how smart you are. Look at all, look at all this I've read. I'm so smart. Well, especially <laughs> now with all the Zoom meetings, you know, you, you got to have some books behind you, apparently. That's uh, that's the decor. Oh, please, yeah. we're, are we not judging what books Fauci had behind him? We're like, what does he have back there? <laughs> and everyone was coming down on him for his bookshelf being kind of cluttered. And I was like, you know what I don't want Fauci doing right now? Decluttering. Fauci does not need to declutter right now. He's got one job. <laughs> the, and now let me ask you this. Is there a time time of year that's, that's best for decluttering? Like, is there something in the atmosphere where it's like, this is a good time to declutter or is it just like, well, now? yeah, yeah. Now always, I think it's, I think it's twofold. I think there's a twofold answer to that. One, I definitely think spring. I think there's something about spring. There's a reason like spring cleaning. There's a reason our aunties used to do it when they were farmers. I think that, that the renewal and the newness, it's great. I also like fall, right? So I kind of like those two big seasons for the big declutter. But the thing about decluttering is it's constant, right? The stuff keeps coming in. So I think people sometimes think, oh, I'll just do a big declutter and that'll be it. And then I'm like, no, but do you see how much you're buying on Amazon? More is coming in. So I always tell people, set a, set an afternoon on the weekend or a couple hours or you know, 20 minutes that I like Sundays where you can kind of declutter and put your house back together and start the week off in a really good space. I like that. And, you know, Marie Kondo's is when I think of 
you know, cleaning up the space is someone who's like blown up on Netflix. And I'm sure there's been some uh, residual effects for business also where people are like, oh, yeah, I need to. And, you know, but she talks about like things that bring what brings you joy and what doesn't bring you joy. And I'm like, I've never used the word joy in my life. I don't I don't know what I wouldn't know joy if it hit me in the face. Um, yeah. What is that? <laughs> and, and I'm sure like that doesn't work for for everybody. What how what separates you from what she's talking about? And what are the pros and cons of joy? Yeah, I, you know, I think Marie is great. I think it I think it's really fascinating that it took um, someone from outside of the United States to really co- start this conversation. I, I, I think it's fantastic. I also think, you know, she has a very Japanese aesthetic um, and she also is very rooted in her religion or religion. I believe she's a Shinto Buddhist and they believe that every object, inanimate object has a soul. So she is in a, in a different relationship with her stuff. My book, I kind of wrote it in a response to her book because I, so many people were like, I try, like you, like I tried that and it didn't work. I mean, I had a client that said to me, she goes, so is guilt tinged sentimentality the same thing as joy? Because I'm not sure. <laughs> so I, I think that Marie, you know, I, I don't think she delved into the uh, emotional attachment and hold that, um, our stuff has on us. I think that, that, uh, for a lot of people, look, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. But for a lot of people, it's so weighted and it's so emotional and it's, you know, it's so, um, it's just so attached that the simple, like, does it spark joy or not? Doesn't work. So I always say my book is the next step, you know, and if she works for you, fantastic. And if you're like, I can't do this, then you might want to read making space clutter free. I love that. Yeah. Cause it, it, and you talked about earlier that there are like seven emotional blocks. Can you share with us another emotional block? Sure. Yeah. Um, so let's see a good one. Uh, let's see if this one resonates with you. Um, so clutter block number four is called my fantasy stuff for my fantasy life. So this is, um, you think, you know what, you know what I should do? I should become a rock climber. That would make me happy. I'd love to be a rock climber. So you go out and you buy all the stuff for rock climbing. You buy the carabiners and the ropes and the little thing and you watch free solo and you decide to do it. And then you get to the edge of the mountain and you're like, oh, I'm scared of heights, right? But you fantasize that you should be this thing and you buy all the stuff to go with it. So that's one that people really get stuck with. Um, Another one is clutter block number six, which is trapped with other people's stuff. So that is, um, for a lot of us, things we inherited. People have passed away and we've inherited their things. And we're like, how could I possibly get rid of, that was my Nana's favorite chair. And, you know, do you love it? No, I hate it. I've been paying to store it for years, but Nana loved it, right? That just because someone else loved it doesn't mean we have to. And so I'd much rather see you keep, you know, one thing that you love from a person who's passed on than a hundred things you hate just because you'll feel bad letting them go. So do you have a process for letting it go? Cause I, I could see someone saying like, well, I don't, I don't like, I don't need it. Like my sister just went through this where 
she had her high school yearbook and she sent me a text of she she didn't know what to do it it didn't feel right throwing it in the trash uh but she also recognized that she didn't need it and then it wasn't until like 20 years later most recently where um there she was she found a place to donate it to because it was like the high school historical blah 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 like it just made sense that, oh that's, that's cool that's really cool yeah but it took her like 20 years to so like how like besides dumping in years. the trash <laughs> you know committed <laughs> yeah. you know it's funny we actually we've been dealing with yearbooks a lot lately i don't know why and and now with facebook i'm like do you need a yearbook because there's somebody in on facebook you went to high school with that's going to have a copy or a page of it um we actually shred yearbooks we send them to the sh- like out with the shredder because it just does feel weird to throw them away. Um, but you know, I, I go through that. I'm like, I have my yearbooks. I don't have kids. So I don't know. Are my nieces and nephew going to want to see me with big eighties hair? I don't know. Um, so yes, I do. We, my company, my business policy is we try and donate as much as possible. Um, and we tend to try and work with a little bit smaller organizations as opposed to just taking it to Goodwill or, um, you know, Salvation Army, because we have the luxury of doing that and we have relationships. Oftentimes I say to people, you know what, you, you just want it to be used. So can you give it, you know, does a neighbor need it? Can you put it up on you know, everybody's doing those really cool buy nothing groups on Facebook, right? Where people are trying to not buy anything. Oh yeah. My sister is a part of that. Yeah. So you throw it up there and somebody wants it. And you know, this idea of like, oh, I need the tax donation. You get so little off on your taxes, you know, just if somebody can use it, do you, you know, there's just, people are in need right now. I mean, always in need in this country, but you know, those put it up on Facebook marketplace and put it up for free and know that some, it'll go to somebody. That's, that's what I, I always, it's going to be easier for you to let it go. If you know, someone's going to use it. Right. If you're like, Oh, if I said to you, um, I got to make up, I don't know. I'm going to make up an example. If I said to you, Oh my gosh, um, Leo, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having dinner with Barack and Michelle next week. And I just, I've never read their books. I feel terrible. You'd be like, well, I have a copy here, take them, read them. You know, if you knew that it was going to put to good use, you would, it would be easier for you to let go of your books, right? If you knew someone was going to read it and it would change their life, you'd be so happy to pass a book along. But if you thought it was just going in the recycling bin, you'd be like, I'm going to keep it. Yeah, there's a a story about a guy who, when he gets off a train, he leaves a book behind and he just leaves it on a seat. And, you know, he doesn't know who's going to pick it up, but, you know, somebody's going to pick it up and read it or toss it away or whatever. But in his head, it just makes him feel good to to leave something behind and uh, and know at some point somebody might get value out of it. I was... um... I had a car full of donations, a car full of clients' donations. And one of the things I just noticed it, there was a box of books, but there was um, the, is it the big blue book, the book for Alcoholics Anonymous? There was yes. a big blue book. And then there was a accompanying workbook that were part of the donations. And I went to the grocery store and there was a woman out front who was, I think she was raising money for a women's shelter and um, we just started chatting and I was like, oh, you know, because a lot of times we donate to women's shelters, clothing and stuff. And I was like, oh, where are you, you know, and kind of tell me about your organization. And sometimes I have clothes and, you know, would that work? And we just 
we just got talking and she's just telling me she was working the program. And I was like, oh, well, I have a big blue book and a workbook in the back of my car. Would you like it? And she was like, I can't believe it. This is exactly what I needed. It was like my commitment I had to do this week. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get it. And so it was like, it, the thing got to the person who needed it in that moment. And I'll just never forget like driving away and watching her flip the book open and start taking notes in it. And I was like, that thing got to the person who needed it. She needed that today. Like if that gave her one more day of sobriety, then it was, it was all worth it. I, I love that story. And I, I appreciate you sharing. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think would be of value to the listeners out there who are struggling with letting go of things or people or yeah, people, photos, <laughs> yeah, photos books, <laughs> emails. You know, I think that um, I just, I invite people to look at it this way. I don't want people to beat themselves up. I don't want people to, you know, flip through Pinterest and go, oh, my house isn't perfect. I just want them to ask themselves do I own my stuff or does my stuff own me? I love that. And then last question, uh, I ask this of all my guests, because I always feel like there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Tracy? You have a magic to share with the world. You may not feel it today. You might not see it today, but we all see that light in you. So don't rob us of that joy. Thank you so much, Tracy McCubbin. Thank you so much, listeners. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. For you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK or the international numbers. I know I have listeners out there in Sri Lanka and Ireland in Scotland and in South America. Uh, You can talk, you can text, you can chat. Uh, And don't forget to pick up Tracy McCubbin's book, Making Space Clutter-Free, the last book you'll ever need. Uh, Pick it up on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you, Leo.